Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're diving into what it's like to be an amazing mom in an empty nest, the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Now, at the time of this recording, it's late spring and there's lots of empty nest and returning to the nest chat out there. With the Midlife Moms, this week's episode is about your empty nest as a woman in the middle. We're also talking about when your nest is emptying, but not completely empty yet. And also when you're just getting used to the quiet and independence in your nest when they come home again. I pulled together a panel of amazingness to have an authentic and fun conversation about this whole empty nest thing. These four women are part of the Women in the Middle Academy and are in some phase of this common midlife transition. Now, let me introduce you to them. Diane is from Ontario, Canada, and is the mom of three 20-something children. Her eldest has been launched. He started a full-time job across the country, and her other son and daughter are attending university in a different city. Diane has worked hard to intentionally dream up her best empty nest. Suzanne is also from Ontario, Canada. She's married, has two daughters, 24 and 27, and they both live a plane ride away. She has two dogs, loves the outdoors, and rode horses throughout her childhood. She joined the Academy to help her figure out who she is now that the girls have left. Good idea, right? She loves to bake, travel, and spend time with close friends, and is determined to start her own business to have more flexibility and love what she does. Kathy is from New York. She's been married for 24 years and has two daughters, ages 17 and 19, and an adult stepson who has two young boys, her grandsons. She's been a school administrator in a school for children with special needs for 12 years and has been an educator in the New York um, City schools for 28 years. And then there's Laura. She's from Arizona and has been married for 25 years. She has two boys, 19 and 21. She's worked part-time as a project manager for 22 years for a local health club and enjoys traveling, pickleball, gardening, volunteering, and reading. You know, and then there's me. I'm in the same boat. I've been married for just about 29 years and have three sons, ages 24, 26, and almost 28. One lives out of town, one lives downtown, and one currently lives at home. Now, when your kids move out, it can be jarring. There's no question about it. Most of us have heard of empty nest syndrome, and it can be scary. We hear about it somewhere along the line. We may have friends that are experiencing it. Maybe we heard it on a sitcom or picked it up. Who knows where? (laughs) And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, we're in it ourselves. The thing is that the emptiness transition can be a ton of fun. But when we're not careful, we forget that part of what's actually possible. (laughs) The bottom line is that mindfulness can really help you navigate through this important transition with potential to be more enjoyable than you imagined. Also, just quick, I want to make sure you know about a free gift that I have for you called Top 10 Questions to Reimagine Your Life After 50. It's a perfect little free guide for the emptiness phase. 
So if you're feeling a little stuck or a little confused about what you want, or maybe you're drawing a big giant blank about what you want to do with your life or your business, I don't mean to laugh, but sometimes it's funny how blank and confused we can get. Maybe you just know you're meant for more, but don't know how to get there. Or perhaps you're starting to get a little concerned about your lack of work-life balance or maybe lack of self-care. I mean, for me, when I was stuck like this and really could have used a guide, I was feeling very, very confused and scared. So these 10 questions help you get clear about what you really want so you can begin to reimagine your life going forward. I think you'll find that using these questions to get out of your head a little bit will really help get you going again. So head over to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash 10 questions. Okay, my amazing friend, I know you're going to get a lot from this interview, so please enjoy. Welcome to another really fun episode this week. This week, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, empty nest. What's going on in your empty nest? What the highs, the lows, all the things. And I've put together an amazing panel of women in the middle to talk about what's going on in their empty nest, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything. We're going to really talk about what's going on. And I can't wait. So let's start by introducing everybody. Um, just tell us a little bit about who you are, how old you are, and what is going on in your nest. So Diane, why don't you get us started? Thanks, Susie. Hi, I'm Diane. I'm 58 years old, and I have three children. My oldest is 23. He actually has graduated from university, and he's moved across the country to start his first adult job. And I have two more children. My uh, second-born son just finished third-year university, and my daughter just finished her first year of university. There you go. Oh, and you know what else is fun? Where you're from. So where are you from, Diane? And I'm from Toronto. We actually live not too far from each other. And this summer, yeah. we're going to go for a walk. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Suzanne, how about you? Uh, I'm Suzanne, and I'm 59 years old, and I have two daughters, one that's 23 years old, and she is um, in university, uh, law school, and she went across the border um, to New York City. My other daughter is 27, and she went across the country, um, and she is working in a full-time job in her dream job. So I am no kids at home, just two dogs. <laughs> and you're also in Canada? Also in Canada, just west of Toronto. Wow, we have Canadians representing tonight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, well, I'll introduce myself just for a second, just to keep the Canadians together. So as you all know, I'm Susie, and I've got three boys in their 20s, 24, 26, and 27, almost 28. And uh, they're not all finished school. One is finishing some graduate stuff. The other two are finished for now. They're working, but I have one at home right now, one out of town and one downtown. So, and a big dog, as we know, keeping me very busy. Okay. Um, Kathy, how about you? Hi. Um, so my name is Kathy and I live on Long Island in New York and I have two daughters. Um, one is 19. She's just finishing up her second year in college. And she's dorming, but she's only 2.6 miles from our home. Um, and then my second daughter is just graduating high school. She's finishing up um, high school. So, so you, that's where I am right now. So you've got one still at home. One still at home right. on her way out. <laughs> and, and yours didn't go that far away. No. Well, yet, yet, I mean, anyway, yeah. so <laughs> my, my younger daughter is actually, do, yeah, she's going to be doing a gap year. 
So she's doing one semester up in New Hampshire and then her second semester in Peru. So the nerve of them going away, like really far away. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Awesome. And Laura. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm 56 and I live in Arizona and I have two boys, uh, a 19 year old who just finished his freshman year and ironically, who I just moved home three hours ago. So I did that earlier today. I thought how appropriate. So he's back in completely unpacked and back in the house and on the couch watching TV. Uh, and then I have a almost 21 year old, uh, he'll be 21 in two weeks. Uh, he just finished his junior year and he'll be moving back uh, early next week. So uh, this summer I will have a full house with both of the boys home. Wow. That, so that is really, that is what happens. You know, it's, they leave, they come back. It's the empty nest. It's the emptying nest and it's the filling up again nest until they're finally out. So what happens now for a while is a lot of kitchen mess. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I thought I'd start with a definition of empty nest syndrome because we certainly hear that a lot. And here's what it says. Emptiness syndrome refers to the feelings of sadness, anxiety, and loss of purpose that some parents and caregivers feel when their grown children move out of the family home. So they're not talking about all the fun stuff that can happen once there's an emptiness, but the syndrome part of the definition is the, the heaviness, the sadness, the anxiety, and loss of purpose. So I thought uh, with that definition there, we would start a little conversation about like what is actually surprising you about the whole experience. There's positive surprises and negative surprises, but let's just really get into that and then we'll go in other directions. So um, Diane, why don't you start? What surprised you about your empty nest experience? Well, Susie, I actually joined your academy because I was pending um, my emptiness and feeling a lot of the sadness uh, and anxiety that was coming with it. So I got a little bit ahead of it. And what surprised me, I think, is that it's just not as bad as I thought it was going to be. We've done a a lot of work uh, together, uh, getting ready for the big event. And I've rediscovered things that, that I enjoy. And it's brought in some ways, a lot of joy to my life. Um, I miss my kids, of course, um, but I'm doing things for myself now, which is so exciting that I have the time to do it. So I think that surprised me the most. It wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) I love that. It's not as bad as I thought. Like, that's the thing. We gear up for, like, sad, tragic, emotional stuff. And there's a lot of potential there for things to be really fun. You know, it kind of reminds me of back in the day with summer camp. I was so panicked about summer camp for uh, with the three kids for a while, there was just one kid gone and then there were two kids gone and then there were three kids gone. And I remember this woman told me, you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to be doing a happy dance at the bus and then you're going to get on a flight to Europe. And I thought, no, (laughs) that's not going to happen. It didn't happen the first year. But the second year, it, it pretty much happened. I did feel joyful at the opportunity to travel a little bit. And we did take a, we took a trip to Quebec City. Uh, so 
it I also had that feeling of like panicky. For me, it was like a panicky kind of feeling of them being far away and not know, being really connected, even though there's so many ways to connect. And then within a year, I had adjusted to it and I was starting to see the upside. Uh, does anybody else want to comment on the surprise? Laura? Um, I agree with Diane. I think I was the same way in that I was a little sad and mopey initially, but I too joined a couple of years ago to sort of get ahead of this, knowing that like, what's going to happen next? I've been raising kids for 20 years. And I would say that was very surprising too, is that how quickly I was able to rebound and actually was very excited to all this work I'd done in the academy to find out the things that I wanted to do next in my next chapter. I now realized I had a lot of time to do all these things. And I was really much more excited and hopeful and um, that really surprising and how quiet it was in the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really quiet. That was actually very surprising. I don't know why, but you know, I've had two boys for 20 years and so um, I found that actually kind of, you know, a change, but nice. I love this idea that both of you were really thinking, how can I get ahead of it? Like you saw it coming and you wanted to be really proactive. That's awesome. Um, okay, Suzanne, how'd it go for you? Yeah, I wasn't proactive. <laughs> <laughs> so it happened to me and I was like, I was very sad. Um, and I was trying to figure out all of a sudden I was, you know, it was quiet. It was me, my husband, but I was thinking, okay, they're gone. They're doing their thing. Um, I'm not really mom and I'm not mom in the same way anymore. So who is, who am I? Who is, who is Suzanne? Because I'm not walking through the door now having someone say, hi, mom, how was your day? Or mom, I did this. You know, you always hear mom. So now I'm Suzanne and I really didn't know who Suzanne was now after 20 odd years of being mom. And that's when I joined the Academy um, was to try and sort through that and find out who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. And I also remember my daughter, my one daughter said to me, are you going to be okay, mom, when I go? And that really spurred me on as well because I didn't want my girls to be worrying about me. Mm. It's my responsibility to be happy. And I wanted them to see me thriving because to me, they're going to be happier and they're going to thrive in their lives because they don't have to worry about me moping around the house and saying, you know, when are you coming to visit and that kind of thing. So that's when I joined the Academy was to, you know, really look at my life and make sure I'm getting the most joy and doing things for me because in the end it's positive reinforcement to them to live happy lives as well. Yeah. And being role models about what is possible. Now, you know, things are so different when we grew up, what we thought it was like um, for our parents when we left, like I was the oldest of five kids. So I wasn't really worried that my mom was going to be lonely, but when she dropped me off at university being the first one, she got all teary. And I remember looking at her thinking, what is wrong with you? This is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I actually had that thought and she's crying. And we talked about it later. And now, of course, I totally get it. But uh, yeah, like I was so focused on what it meant for me to leave and to feel independent and to start being a, like to strike out on my own sort of thing, even though I wasn't really in terms of 
you know, really being on your own, but um, yeah, she was in a very different space. So I didn't at that age, of course, recognize the the pain of the transition, the change, the change really. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, Kathy, what's happening with you? Yeah, so I, I didn't, I was okay when my daughter left for college, probably just because of she was so close. Um, one thing that did surprise me was she suddenly became much, and, and other people have said they've experienced the same thing, much more expressive about her feelings to me in text messages, of course. That's okay, I'll take it. So I started getting every night, you know, good night, love you. And I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> so, you know, that was a really pleasant surprise. Um, when I started to really feel angst, and that's when I did, as all the other ladies, I reached out to you after listening to many podcasts. And uh, when we started planning for my second daughter to leave, and things were really solidifying, and I started to feel panicky and spinning. And, and of course, thinking about myself and what's next for me. And I'm at the 28 year mark in my career. And I'm really very close to retirement, but not ready for that to be the end. So I started working with you. And of course, it's, it's just helped me in terms of managing my emotions with making these plans for her. Um, something interesting that just really just happened is at my older daughter just telling me now she may come home. So she's kind of <laughs> over the dorming. And this just brought up a whole new set of emotions for me. Um, so I was trying to think of what it was. And I'm a little apprehensive about her coming home. We know what it's like when they come, when they come back. Every time another human comes in the house, changes the whole dynamics of everything. Um, still a little sad with the other one going. And uh, to be honest, a little disappointed. I started making plans. And now somebody's going to be back in the house, even though the reality is she'll be very busy. She has school. She has two part-time jobs. And, um, but I'm trying to process those feelings right now and, and, um, you know, just acknowledge them. And, you know, the apprehensive one, that's the one I've been working on the most about. And I think I'm just trying to say to myself, maybe I'll be wrong. You know, it, it may go much smoother than I originally thought it would go. <laughs> and, um, you know, the disappointed part, you know, I was like, well, I can still do everything I was planning to do. Nothing's really going to change. But my that was one of my immediate feelings was. So just these constant shifts of these feelings. You know what, Kathy, that's so interesting about the disappointed part. I I wonder if part of that feeling is coming from what you think will change with you mm. because they're home, like old habits, old routines, old mm. responsibilities. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, I, I think a hundred percent. All of a sudden there'll be, you know, there'll be someone else in the house just vying for my attention and my time. And, and I want to give her my attention and my time. I, you know, I, not going to just close the office door and say, I'm done being mommy. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I think, um, and then, you know, me being me, I'll probably then be disappointed if she's not around that much. I'll say, well, where is she? She's living here, but now I never see her. <laughs> 
Well, it's a whole new set of rules and expectations, rules, yeah. rules, and expectations to to sort out. And um, uh, there's that. And then there's, I think, really appreciating that things don't have to be the way they were before. You could be much more intentional. So, for example, if you had some plans or you didn't want to make dinner because you haven't been making dinner the same way as you used to make dinner, you still don't have to. Like, are you okay with saying you're on your own for dinner tonight? Or are you okay seeing an empty Saturday and having your own plans, knowing that they may not have plans? It's just really figuring out what do I want? How do I want to show up as a mom? How do I want to show up as the independent person that I've been working on, working on having more fun and doing more stuff? It'll be really good exercise, but I think that that really could be a lot of it is having Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be more intentional and following through. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Because when they do come back, it really does switch things up. The other thing that happens when they're away is that they're growing and becoming more independent. So Mm -hmm. when they come home, they're not the same. Yes. They've had, they've met new friends that you don't have, you've never met. They've had different influences. They've had experiences that they haven't shared. So they're really different. Um, I remember as a kid being, well, a young adult, being less tolerant when I came home. Like I I was more opinionated. I wanted things a certain way. I expected certain freedoms and independence. And even with my kids now, I noticed that um, I try not to ask a lot of questions, but I like to know when I go to bed and set the alarm that that's Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes I can't tell if anybody's here. I don't want to start going into bedrooms, you know, to check and see. So I start texting, but it's late. I don't know if somebody's here sometimes or they're out. And occasionally I lock somebody out by using the deadbolt lock that they don't. <laughs> and then I get a text in the middle of the night from somebody stuck on the porch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that does happen. So for me, it's that fine line of asking too many questions, but mm-hmm. also being comfortable in my house when I go to sleep. Yeah. Even when she's been home for vacations and summer breaks, um, that was one of, we have a few rules that we put together. And one of them was just give us an ETA. You know, I understand you're not going to tell me exactly what time you're coming home. You've been living on your own, but just give us an estimate. So if I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you're not there, I don't spin into a panic. But I know that you're at a concert or you're at somebody else's house. And she's been doing that. So that that's good. Well, this is, this is a great thing to talk about a little bit. And I I know if any, most, I think everybody now has had somebody come home, at least for the summer. Um, What, what rules do you discuss? Rules, roles, expectations. We had a lot of kitchen things come up. Like, so I'd love to hear what's going on. Laura, what happened for you? Yeah, I, um, we, we recently had some coaching on this because I was kind of like you, Kathy, kind of nervous, apprehensive. I, want to treat them as young adults. I want to respect them, but I want them to respect us. So I actually, after that session, I wrote everything down. And a lot of it is related to kitchen messiness and stuff like, but just basic stuff. It's not like astounding rules, but pick up after yourself. If you make a meal at night, clean your dishes and put them away. Um, You know, and like you said, when you're going to go out, let me know, are you coming home or what time do you think you're going to be coming home? It's as simple as that. There's not a ton of rules, but I'm going to discuss them with them when my older son gets home next week. My plan is to sit down and kind of go through them just so we're very clear. And I also want to ask them what their expectations are of us in this kind of new transition is becoming young adults. I'm curious, like, how would you like us to treat you? And can we all be respectful? Now there's four of us in the house and we're used to sort of doing things our own way now. And so 
we're going to have a conversation next week about it, but I did type it up so I wouldn't forget it. I mean, but it's nothing earth shattering. It's just basic stuff, but I just want to be very clear with them. Yeah. Clear is good. Clear is really good. (laughs) Now this may be a girl thing, but on top of my list was if you borrow something, return it. So, you know, my hair products would be missing. (laughs) That's definitely not happening with the boys for me anyway. No. Um, thing. But the kitchen, the other thing that I found is a problem in the kitchen is like, our, we have good stuff in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've all worked hard. We've got like nice appliances, nice pots, nice pans, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not the same as their crappy apartments with hand-me-down. Some of the hand-me-down stuff they took to university was from my apartment in university. <laughs> So uh, I just want them to be more careful. Like just, you can't go clunking a big pot on a, on an induction cooktop. If you crack that cooktop, I'm going to be really upset. Like you have to be gentle, need to be gentle. And then when they put stuff away, I can't find things. I don't know. I can never find my coffee frother, like that little handheld thingy. I don't know where they put it, but it's never in the same place. And the kitchen scissors, I never know where they are. They, I don't know. Well, at least they're putting them away, but I, I can never find them. So Suzanne, you were going to say something? Uh, well, my one daughter will be coming home for a month um, because school's over. Um, but it's funny with their roommates, they'll call me sometimes and go, oh, mom, I'm so sorry for the mess that I used to leave in the kitchen because their roommates aren't cleaning up things. So they come home. My daughter last night got home and the kitchen sink was full of things. And so she's FaceTiming with me and she... And I guess her roommate didn't put the dish, the pod into the little holder in the dishwasher. She just threw it in the dishwasher. So it didn't wash the dish. So the dishwasher went through the cycle. So all the food dried on the plates and she had to wash everything. So she was like, it was so cute. She's like, mom, I'm so sorry for all those times. So I'm hoping when they come home that they will clean, keep my kitchen clean because they've had to. They've had roommates frustrating. <laughs> that that would be really good. I've heard some complaints too about roommates. It's so funny. Like that's just when we're smirking, right? It's like, good, good. And Diane, what happened for you? Well, I was going to say that earlier you were saying what, what, uh, what surprised you or brought you joy. And one of the things that, found, that brought me a lot of joy while my kids were away is that my kitchen would look the same in the morning as it looked when I went to bed at night. <laughs> It was so glorious coming down to my kitchen and having it sparkling clean. And so, Laura, I love your idea of having a conversation about what the expectations are on both sides. I thought that was a really great thing to do because, uh, yeah, I like that morning clean kitchen because they're always making food at midnight and then it's never as clean. So good tip. Great one. What about the car? Um, my kids don't own cars and, you know, sometimes they want to borrow a car. And I really don't go too far too often. Um, But, you know, there needs to be discussions about the cars and we're not too fussy about the cleanliness of the car because we do have a really dirty dog. But still, I don't want anybody else's garbage in the car and there's gas that needs to be discussed. But I was just really sensitive that there was I didn't want there to ever be an expectation that they could have a car and that I'd be left without a car. You know, so I just really wanted to make that clear that I didn't want to be left without a car unless I really knew that I really had nothing. I didn't want my, I didn't want to have the inconvenience. 
of trying to solve a problem. So if they wanted the car, they needed to plan in advance. They needed to really appreciate that I would, I would be the one without a car. Did any car things happen with any of you, Laura? Yeah. My boys share a car and really the older one thinks it's his car. So, you know, we're, that's actually, I'm going to add that to my list of expectations because that's something we need to discuss because he's down still at college. And he said, I'm going to stay here a couple of weeks. I'm going to work. And I'm like, do you think you're keeping the car? Your brother might need it. You can walk to work. So go ahead and stay down there. We'll get the car. And he goes, Oh, hold on. I'm like, it's not your car. We need to, your, your brother needs it here too, to get to a job and get around and do things. So, and he goes, well, don't you and dad work at home? Can't we just, can't you just borrow? I'm like, no, no. That's it. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I got my car and, you know, we have things we're doing. Just like Kathy mentioned, I don't want, I want to still keep the things doing that I'm doing that I use my car to go to, you know? And so that's a great thing. I did not add that, but that's a big one. We need to do that because my older son just assumes it's his and it's not, we have to ask. And if you're going to, if you think you're going to borrow my car, you might need to ask, do I have plans? Because I do a lot more now than I used to. I try to tell the boys things are changing. I, I have a life now. Totally. And the other thing I pointed out to them a few times is, you know, they always have an option. They can rent a car. That's great. You can rent a car. Like you want to go out of town and keep a car for two days. You can rent a car. I'll, I'll help you figure out the contract and the options and stuff. But they, I just think they need to really appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of rules, have there been any other rules that have come up that you didn't think you needed, even while they were away, not necessarily coming home? Like the one that really stands out to me was with my firstborn. And I may have shared this before on the podcast. I don't remember. But um, I found out that he had a hand injury. His fingers were a mess and facing the wrong direction uh, because of a cheerleading accident. And I found out on Facebook, there was a very ugly picture of of this horrible looking hand that I scrolled right by late at night and one of his friends posted it. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? It didn't occur to me that I would have to explain that expectation that if you get hurt, you should really call your parents and let us know. Like he ended up in the emergency. It didn't occur to me that I needed to share that. I thought that was assumed. So that had to be something we talked about. And another, again, maybe it's the boys. I don't know. Sometimes these generalizations play out. I don't know. But I had to say, um, I expect to hear from you once a week. (laughs) And my, I have friends who are texting their kids all the time. Um, And for mine, we do have a family chat going that has gotten much more active since the first one left for left for school. But just that, like I do expect contact at least once a week. If you fly anywhere, I expect a a little text. I'm okay. Landed safe. Like I just expect that. So what about you? Have any rules or expectations or discussions had to happen? Suzanne? I, I didn't really start the discussion. It was my, my daughters and they said, um, now, you know, I'll be in school, mom, or they're working. So their schedules, I don't really know, like for me to just call them or text them. And my one daughter um, is, there's a time difference. So we kind of set up that they would contact me. I'm not going to contact you. I'll be available whenever you need to talk to me. Um, So that's kind of, I don't know whether it's really a rule, but it's something that came up just because of their schedules and that they wouldn't, if I tried to call them and and one's in school and one's 
I don't know. I just have more flexibility, I guess, even at work, like if they wanted to call me and with the time differences. So, um, yeah, it wasn't me. And I also felt that I didn't want to impede on their newfound freedom. And I felt letting them contact me. Um, it's just like, don't ask too many questions because they don't want to answer questions, but they'll tell you a lot more if you don't ask. Like the less you ask, the more they'll tell. And That's the more, so and, they, and I think the biggest surprise I've had is I hear from my girls, my one daughter, every night we FaceTime. Every night, usually while we're cooking dinner. I don't know if you've ever seen the commercial on TV where the father and the daughter are cooking dinner and on FaceTime together. That's kind of what I do with my one daughter. My other daughter, just because of the time difference, but she'll call me during the day. And I usually hear from her a few times a week, but I hear from them like a lot. And my neighbor, whose daughter lives in Toronto, an hour away, and she goes, I don't even hear from my daughter as much as you hear from your daughters. So well, Suzanne, that was a really pleasant surprise and has helped me immensely that the contact I have with my um, daughters is super. I, I couldn't ask for any. That's amazing. Well, I do have a quote here from Lucille Ball I wanted to share. You know, I love Lucy, pun intended, mm. but um, she says, you see much more of your children after they leave home. Mm. And a couple of the anecdotes you've shared uh, definitely support that. Mm-hmm. Um, our, and, and for us, that family group chat, like my kids, I'm sure a lot, most kids don't use Facebook anymore, but they do use Facebook Messenger. And we have an ongoing family chat and it's pretty active. And mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It wasn't really a rule. I mean, some kitchen things are rules, but it's really an expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that one did surprise me. <laughs> Anybody else want to comment on any of this part? Um, I'm like you, Susie. Boys, I don't talk to my boys every day. Boys don't communicate. At least my boys don't communicate as often. So like you, Susie, I had to say, I expect at least... You know, I'd like to call every once a week and we say on Sunday usually, and why don't you contact us? Um, it doesn't usually work that way. We don't hear from them. And then later on, we text like, when do you want to meet? Why don't you let us know you're studying for a test or something? Um, so we did say at least that. And a lot of times that I always joke about how every now and then you have to FaceTime me so I can see you so I can get like a proof of life. I need to get eyes on you. Uh, we talked about that. So every now and then they were, I, I do a surprise. Can you turn on your camera so I can see you? Are you okay? Um, but yeah, that's, you know, we'll text a little bit during the week, but yeah, not as much, you know, boys don't do that as much. Um, Suzanne, um, at least I haven't found. Diane, what about you? Yeah, I have one girl and two boys and I talk to my daughter almost every day. She's calling and my boys, I'm lucky if it's once a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cameras on is, is a, is a bonus. So yeah, I'm falling into the same camp for sure. I was also trying to to tread on that side of like not contact them too much, give them the space that they want. But sometimes I I just call. And what I found that's really fun lately is I call with video. I know, I mean, I just start that way. And that is the best way to to really see what's going on and have an impromptu little chat. And I'll never forget I did that once when they were in university. And years before, my mom had given them like disco ball lights for Hanukkah, like some kind of a lamp that was like disco-ish. And it 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 had all these lights going from it. And when I called, 
that's what I saw. A dark room, the disco light. I don't know what was going on. I'm sure it was a party, but it was so funny that that's what I saw. I would have never seen that if I didn't just do the occasional call (laughs) with video. Now, speaking of calls, having internet makes it a whole different thing than what it was like when we went away. We had the calling cards. It was common for me to spend $300 a month. I was in Canada. My family was in Pennsylvania. And it was very common to jack up those phone bills and and it to be a real problem. And, and with the kids, it's not like that. So we do get texts. Sometimes we get little filler bits of communication, even if it's not like a nice half hour call. Are you also noticing that? Mm-hmm little filler bits. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is a big transition. I think it's, um, there's a lot of jokes made about empty nest. I don't, I guess when I think about it, especially working with so many women, I start to think about it more as exactly how you're all presenting it, that they're, it's jarring. There's some, definitely some transitions. There's some discomfort with the new normal or the new shifting normal for a a phase of our lives. But there's so much positive that also goes with it. And the jokes are really about the sadness, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and how hard it is when they go and how hard it is to figure out who you are again. And based on my experience, it's challenging, it's confusing, and it's fun. And that's what I wanted to talk to you all next about is joy, because you're all getting kind of excited. You're learning new skills. You're bringing in joy on purpose. Tell me a little bit about what you've discovered now that you've put yourself on your agenda in a way that you hadn't in decades. Laura, do you want to get us started with that? Sure. Um, you know, since I we mentioned earlier in the call that I had done a lot of work about things I wanted to try, now I had all this extra time. So I started to volunteer more. Volunteering is something that's important to me. So I started volunteering a couple times a month because now I had the time. I wasn't going to sporting events. Um, I joined pickleball, you know, that's the craze. So that was something that I did uh, kind of more. One of the things I wanted in this next phase was to meet new friends. You know, your friends change a lot when you go into this next phase and uh, friendships change. So I wanted to meet a whole group of different people. So I've really gotten into pickleball and it's some exercise, sure, and it's fun, but I would say the social aspect for me has been the most fun. I'm just meeting all kinds of people and going out. Um, I'm doing a lot more reading in my quietness now that it's quiet. It was weird at the beginning, uh, and I a little awkward for me, but I remembered I love reading, and now it's so quiet. I read so much more. Wow. So I do that. I've been doing gardening. Um, I work out a lot. We go out a lot. You know, like even tonight we have plans with friends. My younger son who's home now, he said, wait, you aren't going to be home tonight for dinner because I'm home. And I'm like, honey, sorry, we already have plans tonight and tomorrow. Maybe we can go out on Saturday. And he's like, really? You know, and so just like our social life and doing more things, it's been great. That's amazing. And it does take a little bit of intention and you do have to ramp up because really our lives were so different when we're entertained and busy with everybody else's schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kathy, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree, Laura, 100%. I've uh, reestablished some old friendships and um, we were all sort of in the same stages. So we didn't have a lot of time for each other. And 
now even while we're out at dinner or doing something, we calendar our next date together, uh, which was unheard of a couple of years ago. Years could go by before we saw each other. And um, kind of putting myself out there also to make some some new and different friends. Um, you know, even this group, you know, mm-hmm. just in putting yourself out there. And I hadn't done that for a long time. So, um, and I'm working hard on finding something that I can be passionate about. Um, it's still an issue for me, but. <laughs> well, I'll make sure to put um, a link to that worksheet in the show notes about helping you find your passion project. And it is really a series of questions to help you examine what was joyful for you throughout your life in little bits and starts. It could have been something you'd like to do when you were 10, but it's just to look at the list of them and the range of them. And there's clues there. And you'll definitely remember something that you didn't remember before. Something funny happened um, for me this weekend. I had a childhood friend that I spent so much time with. We played jacks constantly. Like this is elementary school. She lived across the street and we used to spend so much time on the swing set and, you know, singing and playing jacks and being silly. Like there were some good times there for a couple of years. Well, the other night I was with a group of uh, ladies who were in the episode 200, um, the group of friends that I, I had, we're called the smoking gals. And we got on this conversation about, childhood chants. Do you remember those funny little chants that we did when we were kids? They would be like, uh, they'd be rhythmic and they had a bunch of funny Mm -hmm. words in them. And sometimes they were part of a song. Well, I remember this, this girlfriend um, taught me one that, that her mother learned and she thought it was from brownies or something. And as soon as she said childhood chants, that chant came to me. I remembered all of the words and I, it just came out of me and I went, Oh my God, that's 50 years ago. And this thing just came out of me. And I thought, I have to leave a voice message on her. So out of the blue, I just sent her a little voice message of just the chant, no intro, no outro, just the chant. And I waited and I waited. It took her two days to hear it. And she called me back. She was laughing her ass off. Just it, it brought back so much joy. And we just started talking about what that was like for us to remember those little chants. And she said she's going to ask her mom to see if it was brownies, in fact, <laughs> that 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 memory came back from. But um, things like that, all kinds of funny things. So, Kathy, don't you worry. We're going to we're going to help you find some things you're passionate about. It might be a hobby. It might be uh, an activity, something you cared about, um, but we can absolutely find it. I'm not worried. Diane, what about you? Yeah, well, I was going to say that the uh, the work that I did with you helped me think back to, like you said, what what I enjoyed as a child. And so I used to love to sing. I was always in the school choirs. And so as an adult, a friend of mine told me that she was a member of an adult pop choir. And so I've joined that now for the last year. And it's been so much fun and meeting new people that way. So, um, so yeah, there's, it's, there's some really great exercises to help you remember what brought you joy when you were so busy as a mom for all those years, you, you, you definitely forget. Um, and I just wanted to say that like Laura, I've, I've also, um, seen, we, I've started seeing old friends again and reconnecting, but the other thing I did was I really wanted to reimagine my living room. It used to be a spot where my kids did their homework. And I hated it. I hated the space. And so once they moved out, I actually changed the entire living room. I've always wanted a fireplace. I had a fireplace installed. 
And it's a completely different space now that I, that I just love. And that really, really helped me. And the other thing I did that I recommend is once your kids leave, bring people in to do a deep clean of your house. Because I did that. I had people in all day. It's like I moved into a new, a brand new place. <laughs> so these are the things that have really made me happy. Um, now they're back home for the summer. We'll see how long it lasts, but it was great while it lasted. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't think I remember you talking about the deep clean. That is an amazing idea. I mean, ugh, like we're all thinking about that area that we know is particularly disgusting. Um, yeah. Also, that reminds me, there was an episode, I'll put it in the show notes, um, that I did with a designer about reimagining your house after the kids leave. And it's exactly what you did. It's like, actually, this corner of the house that I'm in is reimagined. It's got the best window. And now I'm in it. And it was completely underused. They used to play games back here, but uh, this is the best thing. That's how we also ended up with Nico the Noof. When I turned 50, I was thinking about that sort of thing. What did I really want? What did I really, I didn't want to regret. What did I want more of in my life? And because we grew up with St. Bernard's when I was a kid, I remembered that so fondly. And I wanted that big dog experience to share with my family. Now, I'm not playing jacks right now, but I'm tap dancing again. And I was there last night looking like a fool. Let me tell you, I don't look like a fool, but it's so hard. It's You got to really focus. (laughs) And it's very complicated. And I don't want to fall down, of course, but. It is really fun. And I didn't even remember that I liked tap dancing. I only tapped for a year or two, I think when I was 12, 13 or 13, 14. But a friend on Facebook reminded me that we did it together. And then I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? I really like that. I really like that. I'll do that again. So I love that you've been able to really think through some of this stuff, but it doesn't come naturally. We've been just not making time for it for a long time. And this idea that you don't have time to read or that the house isn't quiet enough or it's never, or maybe you don't have a good spot or that it, as soon as you read, you fall asleep. That's what happens to me. Um, but this idea that we used to love reading, we loved scholastic books. We loved the book fairs. We loved reading. And it really uh, goes away for a lot of people. And that's something that's been very common. I've heard so many women talk about not having enough time to read. And it's probably why Audible is so popular. (laughs) Because we love multitasking more than we love just stopping. Uh, Because you can't multitask when you're reading. Mm -hmm. You can't. So um, how would you say that the mindfulness work here in the Academy has helped you with the transition? Mm. (laughs) Kathy. Um, I think just really being being more aware of the my the thoughts and feelings pattern, and then identifying a circumstance. I mean, that's been huge for me, you know, to take out all the judgment and all the opinions. And it's just this is a fact. And um, realizing that it's just a thought. um, And I can change the way I'm thinking about it. And I know I've certainly applied that to work in many situations. Um, and I think the other thing that's been really powerful, powerful for me is the thought ladder and just thinking I don't have to go from the bottom of the ladder to the top of the ladder, that that may take a little while to get to the good point. But there's these little thoughts that I can have along the way. And, and that's still progress. 
Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's why a lot of people can get so easily turned off with this idea that it's only a thought. And it's not that we're minimizing that it's a thought, but it's a thought means that it's optional and you don't have to think that way if you don't want to. It's not like you should just wave your, you know, wiggle your nose like bewitched and and be on to a happy thought. It's not all about a happy thought. It's just really understanding that you have the power to think another way if you want to. And that's really, that's where your power is. Like that's empowering. Sometimes it's very appropriate to think something that creates a negative feeling or a negative emotion or something sad or something angry. That's all okay. But to know that you can think about things differently and that not everybody in a room thinks the same. So it's not just that you can think about something differently, but it's also an appreciation that people can think about things differently. There can be 10 thoughts about the same thing. And it's interesting, but just appreciating that really changes the way you show up. So um, yeah, I'm really glad that those those fundamental mindfulness concepts and strategies are really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Suzanne? I would, um, I agree with Kathy. Um, I would add to that for me, um, self-care. Um, you know, before I started, I always, you know, I say, oh, you can go spa day or getting your nails done or whatever. And self-care is just so much more, even just, you know, talking about taking that time to read or, you know, saying no to things so you can do something else. Like just, there's so much more to self-care um, that I think has just been so helpful for me, you know, to slow down and just really be in the present moment, which I wasn't good at before. And I mean, I'm not, you know, still working away at it, but I'm much more aware of that now. And that's been really, really helpful for me. Well, that's so good. It's hard to be in the present moment if you're not slowing down on occasion. Mm-hmm. That's that's really true. Laura? Yeah, I would say just drawing the connection, like Kathy said, between my thoughts and my feelings and being so much more aware of that. It's really changed my whole outlook. And my husband will say this, and even my kids notice it. Like, I'm, I always thought I was kind of positive until I started doing this work. Um, but being much, I like to be happy and joyful and be positive. I find now that I catch myself and I'm able to change my thoughts. So I show up so much different, differently and I'm much more hopeful. I'm very positive. And a lot of people have really noticed the change. And I think that's all because I'm so much more cognizant of the thoughts I'm thinking to shape how I show up. Well, what do people yeah. say? Like what context does it come up in? Well, you know, I, the person who says it the most is probably my husband. And, you know, he sees it the most and, you know, he'll say, you're just, he said, do you need me to go on the podcast and tell them what I see about you? I said, no, no, this is not for you. Uh, You know, but he said, you're just so much more positive instead of maybe being critical with a critical eye, like picking at things. And like, you see something and picking kind of out the negative. I almost never do that anymore because I don't like the way that would make me feel. I want to be positive. So now I'm looking for the positive things because I want to feel good about it. So he said, just that alone is completely shaped how you talk about things, show up your, your positive nature. You're so you seem happier. You're much more pleasant to be around. I mean, I don't know how bad I was before. I don't think I was that horrible, but um, he just said, he goes, he just noticed like a tremendous change, which is great. So that's what he notices. I'm just much more hopeful and happy and positive. Wow. That is something. 
Yeah. And it's, I'm it's, not that surprised. I'm just, I'm so pleased that the work is, is making such a huge impact in your lives as, as it did with me too. Like uh, such, such big impact. One of the big things that I really learned was thinking about this phase of life with young adults differently. And if you're not careful, it's very easy to get sucked into the idea that our relationships with our kids are over. Like that Mm -hmm. phase is over instead of the phase of having a relationship with a young adult is just beginning. But the thing that goes along with that is, is relating to our children as young adults Mm -hmm. and eventually as adults, or if you even see it differently, I do see I do see them as young adults um, on a great trajectory. (laughs) But what about you? Do you think about this establishing a relationship with a more independent, um, older, but still still your child, Mm -hmm. but an older person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I find I have, um, well, my daughter who's in law school, it's funny when I'll hear something on the news or whatever, and I'm just not very good with it. She has a history degree as well. And something will come up and I just, I'm fascinated with the knowledge that she has. And so I will ask her questions to learn from her because that's just not a strength of mine. And I just find her knowledge fascinating and I've, I'm learning so much from her. And I just think, you know, she's just becoming such a smart adult and <laughs> very well-rounded and her knowledge is just impressive. And I'm learning from her and my other daughter as well. I try to have quite an interest in She's in the sports industry. And um, so, yeah, I'm asking her questions. So I think that's a really um, interesting relationship, you know, to try and be open to what they know, that they actually know a lot more than I do in some aspects. And I want to, I can learn from them now. Yes, true. Kathy, did you want to add to that? No, I, no, I definitely agree. Um, My daughter is, um, I'm in education and my daughter is also studying education which didn't really thrill me at first. Um, I had to adjust to it. But, uh, you know, some of the conversations that we've had, and I just kind of look at her in, in a little bit of awe, like, wow, that's pretty insightful. And she works right now with children with special needs. So she's also not just in school. She has some hands-on experience. And or she'll ask me questions about things, but really thoughtful questions. So um, not just coming home and complaining about, oh, this kid was a pain in the neck and he kicked me, but really like she'll say, well, why do you think he would do something like that? And, and you know, do you have any ideas of strategies that I might be able to use with with this particular student? And I'm so pretty impressed. <laughs> so it's nice to, you know, to see that growth. That's awesome. Uh, Laura, did you want to say something? Oh, just... I guess I'm kind of at the beginning of this. I, I realize like we're in a transition phase and that's why well, I guess one of my goals for the summer is that kind of trying to learn what is that new, they are young adults, but they're still young. They're 20 and, you know, 21 and 19, but it's kind of just trying to find what is that, what does that look like? I don't know yet. And so that's some of my goals this summer is to kind of try to transition and treat them like young adults and tra- maybe start to work on that transition into the mother who's on you about your homework and your chores. And we're kind of past that. So I'm more curious about what this next phase will be like and kind of interested to see how it will unfold and think it'll be a test this summer to see how it goes. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And Diane, how about you? Well, I'd say that 
the transition that I've seen is that it's gone away from telling them what to do and having more of a conversation about what do they want to do. So when my oldest was thinking about moving the country across the country for a job, he's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, okay, well, well, what could go wrong? What, you know, you're interested in the job. It's a great new start, but, but what do you think? Like, what, what are your pros and cons? And he actually went away. He did a pros and cons list and we discussed it. I know I couldn't believe it. Black and white. (laughs) And then my daughter was thinking about changing her degree, her major. And I said, okay, so why are you thinking about that? And what do you think the benefits are? And they're just completely different conversations. And it's, it's really great. It's really great to have these conversations with adults now. And, uh, and there's, you know, the, there's not the fighting there used to be in high school. And uh, it's a nice new relationship that, that you can really enjoy. Mm-hmm. They're more like friends in a way than they are your kids. Yeah. And they do still come for some advice. Like there's still some mm. areas of life that they're not um, ready to lead on. Uh, there's some financial things that come up. There's some um, uh, career stuff that comes up. Another fun thing that I've seen is when they're developing not just their own hobbies and passions, because we've, as parents, we've seen those over the years and they haven't like not paid attention to them for 30 years like us, but to see how they're, they're managing their time to incorporate the stuff that they love. And I love watching that. Uh, One of my kids has a new hobby right now and it is being an aquarium enthusiast like his parents. (laughs) It's been so much fun to, Actually, I got a few texts while we were talking, some a big update in his tank. And mm-hmm. um, we had purchased some little shrimp recently. We have a quite a big tank and they disappeared immediately. And I thought, oh, my God, did the big fish eat them? Like, did I just feed sushi to my fish mm-hmm. unknowingly? And then I came down um, for some reason. It was like two in the morning and I was walking around the house and I thought, I'm just going to go check. Maybe, maybe they're up at night, those shrimp, because we hadn't seen them in two weeks I was feeling very sad and I just snuck in like I was quiet not to disturb any of the bigger fish. And I looked in there and I thought I saw them. And then I took my iPhone and I put a flashlight on and I saw the shrimp. Well, don't you know, I had to make a post in the middle of the night and there was a lot of excitement that I had spotted the shrimp. (laughs) So watching just how they're incorporating fitness and uh, how they're maintaining their, you know, their friends who now everybody lives all over the place. One of the things that has given me a lot of comfort over the years is that we, we tend to know a lot of their friends. Um, one thing we did is we, we had a pool table in the basement and I found that the pool table was a great way to meet their friends because not everybody has a pool table and it brings people to your house. And that has really helped. And I just know that uh, even with university, because they were um, doing cheerleading, there were some competitions. It meant that we were able to meet some of their friends there too. And knowing their friends was always really helpful. If there was any opportunity for me to get a phone number in my phone, I enjoyed that. Like a roommate's phone number I always wanted. Just in case there was some reason that I needed to get in touch with somebody, I would have a way. And I'm wondering how that is playing out for you. Do you know their friends now? Are you able to have a sense of who they're hanging out with at all? Does it bother you? Are you able to invite them to your homes? Anything like that? I loved getting a phone number in my phone. Laura? 
Yeah. You know, one of the things both my husband and I did when our kids were freshmen in college, we invited their, because both of my kids went in with completely new roommates. They didn't know anyone. They were all from out of town. We invited them all over when they came. So that was really nice because we don't live, we live a half an hour from where the boys are. So, but they came over, we had a pool party, we met the parents or, or went out to dinner. So that was even just nice, even just getting eyes on the kids because, you know, some of the people you'll never even see if they're off in college. So even just meeting the parents and the kids initially was really great. And as a result, you know, my sons are still friends with those boys. And I know some of their parents now because of that initial outreach that we did to sort of meet them. Now they play, have plenty of other friends too, but their core friends are those ones a lot of, that we met at the beginning. Yeah, that's definitely something that's, that is hard when they go away and it's far away and you don't have a real reason to meet friends. Um, certainly taken when you do go for a visit, it's always easy to take a group of the kids out to dinner or something. I remember my roommate's parents did that for me back in the day in 1981. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Um, yeah. Diane, you want to say something? I would say, um, so that knowing the kids, some of the kids I've known like since they were a lot younger, but then my daughter went away and made a whole group of new friends and I didn't know any of them. Mm-hmm. But then when I went to pick her up on Monday, I got to meet them and I've heard so much about them that I felt like I almost already knew them, but, um, but it was really great to meet them. So I've had, uh, I've had a mix of both and uh, yeah, it can definitely be nerve wracking at times when you, you're not hearing from them, but um it's a great experience for them to meet new people too. So such is life. (laughs) Such is life. At least we have internet. (laughs) Well, I'd love to end this interview with just some piece of pieces of advice for um, parents who haven't gone through this yet for some of the moms who are sitting there, you know, being really nervous about what's to come and, and how she's going to connect with who she was and who she wants to be find those passions again. Uh, any words of advice as those kids are getting ready to leave, or if you're just not comfortable with the fact that they've left? Laura? I would say, you know, if you know that that's coming soon, it really helps to put in some work beforehand and do some self-reflection of some things that you're going to now have time on your hands and start thinking of interests or things that you used to like or that you'd like to try Um, I think that that really helped me. I had this whole list of all of these things I was interested in doing in my newfound time. And I think that made me hopeful and kind of excited. And I think that's what maybe is scary when you're like, I don't know what I want to do. And now here I am and it's been 20 years and I don't have anything to do. I think that really, really helps. And also set expectations if you have boys to how often you want them to communicate with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Those are my two pieces of advice. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, Diane. (laughs) I I think Laura said that really well. It's all about being intentional and thinking about how you want to spend your time. It's exciting. Your kids are excited to to go away. And I want to mirror that excitement in my own life and be a role model for them. And so if you can be intentional and figure out what you want to do, what what a wonderful opportunity and a great way to spend your time. So I would say the first day was tough, but the second day is easier and the third day is even better. So be intentional and plan it out and it's going to be wonderful. Mm, So good. Uh, Suzanne, any last words? 
just become the best version of yourself, which is wrapping up what both the other two ladies have said is just work on yourself. And there's lots of, lots of things you can do and, and be happy and your, your kids will call you. It's surprising. I, th- I think that was my biggest worry and I'm pleasantly surprised and they will call you and ask for advice and questions and it happens. You just have to be there and you just, you're a support and you, you have to have listening ears. Just like you used to tell your kids when they were little, <laughs> we need to use our listening ears. The more you listen, the more they'll ask and talk to you. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. And Kathy? Um, I mean, I love what the other ladies have said about, you know, being a model um, and a role model and, and letting them see that, you know, you're, you know, we're not in our 50s and our life is over. And um, kind of going through the journeys together. You know, I like sharing the things that I'm learning with my kids and, you know, they're sharing with me. And it's, it's just kind of a different mindset of looking at them, you're moving more this, right, that whole transition through life. And, now we're moving more toward friends and more of a, a you know, guy, a counselor, not so much a parent. And I'm um, just, you know, enjoying the moments, you know, that's it. Yeah, so good. And I guess my biggest piece of advice is just to really try to notice what your thoughts are, are about the transition. So are you able to detect any fear or dread or sadness and just make sure that you also look for the positive things. So if you are picking up a little sadness or anxiety, are you also thinking about possibility and excitement? Are you also thinking about, um, it's a bit of a reinvention. Like sometimes that word sounds kind of scary, but you could become a reader again. You could become somebody who likes to play pickleball regularly. You could be become somebody with a hobby who gets really good at it. You could get some tap dancing shoes and get out there again. Like you can really do anything you want uh, because you you will have more time than you had. And sometimes it doesn't look like time on a calendar, but there are fewer things on your brain. You know, even, even making dinner a few nights a week is different than making dinner for a larger family more regularly, right? Like even that uh, means that you're, you're, you're just, you've got less on your plate, no pun intended, um, just with dinner. And then if you're worried about the friend thing, well, you just got to come to the academy because I didn't expect that you were all going to say that. And it's, it's just, it's really something that surprised me about doing this work now for 10 years was how important it was to have friends and how important it was to really look at the friends that you have and just be honest with yourself if you, you're needing more, not just more friends, but maybe more depth, maybe friends who are interested in growing and changing. And so it's not that there is necessarily anything wrong with your friends, but maybe you have other needs. Maybe you haven't met anybody new in a long time. Um, and there is there are more friends to be had. And in the academy, we're like-minded, like we're going through the same or very similar stuff. And you learn so much from each other and you're inspired by each other and you get ideas from each other. Like it's just, it's so much fun and it surprised me. And it's been so rewarding to be able to help make it happen. You know, so good. Uh, There's just more time. There's more time and more possibility. And I'm pretty excited about it. Sounds like you guys are too. Yes. Yes, definitely. Everybody's trying so hard not to talk about, uh, talk over each other. (laughs) We're 
doing a good job. But thanks, everybody. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Empty nest is something that so many of us are dealing with. And there are really good things that can happen with empty nest as well. Launching a kid is fun. It's fun supporting them and it's fun watching the changes. So thanks so very much for being so authentic and sharing and just really providing some really good ideas and your experiences. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Thanks, Susie. Okay, that's it for this episode. Lots of great info and perspective about all of the possibility right there in your emptiness. Like there's so much possibility. I hope you're starting to see that now by hearing some of these stories. So as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. And I think you heard from the women in the panel today that mindfulness doesn't have to be all woo and it doesn't need to be like intense and and something that's hard to do. Um, the women today just shared with you how little bits of mindfulness have really helped them. And I think um, that's really important for you to see. It doesn't need to be something that's hard to get started and to incorporate into your life. It's very, very accessible skill. Now, when you start incorporating mindfulness, it's really how you can start to put yourself on your agenda. And my focus as your midlife coach is to help you do that and also get unstuck and clear and focused on your current values and priorities so that you don't have regrets. You can absolutely create less busy and more balance in your life. The bottom line is that you know you're meant for more and you don't want to waste your valuable time. Who does? So if you're ready to make some important changes with what I'm thinking of as a new midlife operating system so that you can be way more clear about what you want and how to get there, I can help you create the success you're looking for. And that's exactly why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind. Because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together so you feel great about your future and don't have regrets. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 307. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. So thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.